Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. The book of James today, and I think Luke's got a PowerPoint there somewhere that's going to show a picture that doesn't say, it's just words really, but it's there. We need a little room to move around here today. And uh, it's been eight weeks long, uh, eight weeks we've been in the series, believe it or not, and uh, that's, that's a short, that's too short a time really to really take in what's in James. There's lots of bits, if you read through the book of James, you thought you might find parts and you think, I don't remember anyone preaching on that, and that's because we do have to pick and choose a little bit, we've got limited time. Um, and so eight weeks, we've sort of skimmed through it and picked out some highlights. But it's also um, it's also too long a time in some ways because when this book was, when when James was delivered to a group of people, it was read probably in one sitting. They sat down and went, "Hey, everyone, guess what? James has written a letter and it's getting circulated around the churches. Get to get down to get to get down to Fred's house. Uh, we'll open the letter together." And they would have ransacked that letter in one sitting. They would have sat down and digested it because it was living words to them in their very situations. And so. We miss that because we slice it up over eight weeks and we read little bits and here and there and we forget the big picture. So um, because it's the last last day today in James, we're moving on to something else next week. I want to just um, have, a, have a shot at summarising the book in a, in a simple way. And it's, it's, not, it's not easy. For some people, um, James is their favourite book of the Bible. Is anyone here who feels that way? James is your favourite? Why, Richard? Oh, it's just packed with good stuff. Good stuff? It's practical? Anyone else that James is, you know, if you got lost on a desert island, you can only take one book of the Bible and then take James with you maybe? Um, a lot of people feel that. that James is their, their favourite book. And, um, and and I don't know, if, I don't want to say it's not my favourite book because it sounds like bad. It's like, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with James? It's not that anything's wrong with it, but um, it is it is a tricky book. I've found it hard in preparing to preach through James, trying to sort of hold the thing in my head as a cohesive whole. But I, I think over time, I feel like I have I have got a bit of a handle on that. So let me try and share with you what I think is going on in the whole book of James that, um, that, that you could write on the heading. Book of James, there's a bit of blank space in my Bible. What's the summary of the book? The summary becomes clear when you, when you sit back and you realize that James is echoing really closely the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? It, it's not it's not a visible on the front front of it. James doesn't say, remember what Jesus said here? And remember when Jesus said this? Remember when Jesus talked about the persecuted and how blessed they were? Remember when Jesus talked about the destructive force of anger and the tongue? Remember when Jesus talked about letting your yes be yes and your no by no be no? He doesn't James doesn't say that, but all these things are throughout sprinkled throughout James and they all echo the Sermon on the Mount. So here's my here's my best shot at a summary. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he was sitting in the sunshine on a hill overlooking a lake. There were people gathered all around him. The the birds were tweeting. The unicorns were playing in the meadow below. It was a beautiful day. And Jesus was anticipating a coming day when things would get tough for his followers. The Sermon on the Mount is anticipatory. Okay, It's Jesus looking forward and saying, hey, my followers, come up on this hill, sit down. Jesus sat down and he taught them. And he said things about what it was going to be like to be persecuted and what they were to do in that moment and what they were were to do when they encountered an enemy. Up there on the hillside, they didn't have enemies. They were being persecuted. It was a lovely day in the sunshine. And afterwards, Jesus might have made a big lunch for them, you know. It was nice. James comes along and, 
And what Jesus anticipated is now happening. Okay? So, so my summary of the book of James would be the teachings that Jesus gave applied in real time. Okay? Do, do you hear that? Jesus said one day persecution, troubles are coming your way, trials are coming your way. Don't worry about what don't worry about what you in that day, don't worry about what you've got to say, don't worry about eating and what you don't worry about plans for tomorrow. There's enough trouble today. Um, Jesus talked about the importance of doing and not just hearing and all these things. James grabs all of those ideas because the Christians are now living in the day when it's hard. The Christians are now living in, in a tricky time. The book of James opens. Is anyone among you in trials? Ask God for wisdom, you know. So they're in the squeeze, and the temptation in the squeeze is to go, I mean, Jesus said that stuff, but now that it's hard, I'm not going to do it. Now that it's, it's really hard to love my enemy now that I've actually got one, it sounded easy on the hill, you know. Love your enemies. Oh, that, that sounds so awesome, Jesus. Great teaching. Because you haven't got any enemies. But now in James, they've actually got real enemies who are trying to put them in jail. Trying to take them off and, and, and oppress them and extort money from them and, take, and treat them poorly because they're believers. And uh, James is going, hey guys, remember what Jesus said about loving your enemies? It's time to do it. It's time to, it's time to do what Jesus anticipated. Alright, so that's, that sounds really long and convoluted, but that helps me make much more sense of the book of James than it otherwise would. Otherwise, it's a really disconnected, weird book of lots of kind of ideas running off in all sorts of places. That thread holds it together for me. The teachings of Jesus applied in real time. And James is saying to his friends, hang in there, persevere with what Jesus said. Now, Now's the time to lean into what Jesus said, not the time to go, that stuff's too hard now that I've got a real enemy in front of me. So that's my summary of the book of James. And uh, we're looking at the very last paragraph today, and Kelly read it for us. And it's just a few remarks at the end that James gives to four different groups of people. Do you want to flick over the next slide, Luke? I think. Oh, yeah, there they are. The suffering. He's going to address four groups of people. The suffering, the happy, the sick, and the wandering. Okay? And you might have heard that all those four groups were addressed in the little reading. I'm going to, I'm going to show it to you again. And now that you know that these four groups of people are addressed... We're just going to have the text on the screen and you can see them. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Final paragraph. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, is their wandering bit, and someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There's our four groups. There's our four groups. So next slide, Luke. I think we'll just keep the uh, keep the heading there from now on. The suffering, the happy or the carefree, the people who are feel, wake up in the morning with a you know happy feeling in their hearts and it's good times. He wants to say something to them. He wants to say something to the sick. He wants to say, say something to the wandering. And a big part of what James is going to say here, as you heard, 
centres around prayer. Centres around prayer. And this is a nice little bookend to the letter of James. Um, I don't expect you to remember what was at the start of James. But the book of James started like this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him pray for it. All right? You're in the middle of a trial. How do I deal with this trial? We need heaven's wisdom. And James invites on the very first paragraph, you've got to be praying for it. You're in, you're, in, you're in trial time, pray. And here on the very last paragraph of the book of James, it's like a little kind of bookend. Um, are you praying? Are you suffering? Let him pray. Are you a suffering person? Pray. Are you happy? Pray. Are you sick? Get some people to pray. You know, there's this, there's this theme, there's kind of this uh, sandwich of prayer going on here. Um, now, why does James need to say this? It's because praying doesn't come very naturally. And I don't know if that's a bit of a shocking statement to say, um, but I'm, I'm hoping it's not. I, I think some people find praying really easy, and they, they say, well, I don't need to be encouraged to pray. James doesn't need to remind me to pray. But James needed to remind these guys to pray. He had to sort of sit down at the very end and go, are you suffering? You should pray. Because they weren't. Are you cheerful? You should, you should sing praise to God. You should address your cheerfulness to God. Because they weren't. And, and praying is not an easy, natural thing for us. For some, like, I don't want to put that as a blanket over everyone. For some people it is. For many, many Christians, if we were to draw a scale and say, um, one is, yeah, praying is hard. And ten is, praying is super easy and I'm just praying all the time. And you were to put yourself on that line somewhere. I don't know how many tens we'd have in the room. I'd say, I don't know where you put your number. But there wouldn't be very many tens. Most people would say, praying's hard. Praying doesn't come naturally. Praying isn't a thing that just is a, just a natural part of my life. Now, some people do. Many don't. Many don't find that. And James is writing to people for whom that's not a natural thing. It's not natural for them to go, I'm suffering, I should pray. He's got to tell them, are you suffering? You should pray. You should, that's, that's a good idea. How about this? You should pray. Um, the disciples looked at Jesus praying and they said, can you teach us to pray like you? Do you remember that? The disciples looked at Jesus and thought, hey, it's natural for him, but it's not. it hasn't come naturally to us. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus gave them a prayer. Um, Jesus, on the last, remember the night he was betrayed? They sung a hymn together. They had, the, they had the, the, the Lord's Supper together, we call it. They had bread and wine and shared that. They went out into the night and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus was heavy in soul. And he left his friends and he said, watch and pray. You stay here. I'm going on a little further to pray alone. Watch and pray. And Jesus went a little further on and he knelt down and he wept and he prayed and he poured his heart out to God for what was about to happen that night. And he said, I need some encouragement. He heads back to his friends. They're all sleeping under the trees. Wake them up. Get up, guys. This is urgent time. Be praying. Be prayerful. Watch and pray. Jesus goes again. Another time of urgent praying and anguish. And he comes back. And they're all snoring under the tree. And Jesus said, can can you not even pray with me one hour? Apparently not. (laughs) Apparently, Apparently praying wasn't high on their priority list. Okay? So Paul would encourage the churches to pray without ceasing. Be a a people of prayer. He has to tell them to do that. Jude 
the end of the book of Jude says this, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. There's this encouragement to be people of prayer because we need that encouragement. By and large, we don't find it very easy. We don't find it very natural. We have to be nudged in it. It's not a simple thing. So James reminds us of our great birthright as believers. We get to pray. He's not trying to guilt trip us. He's saying, are you suffering? You know, you know you've got like you've got this thing called prayer that is able to un- open heaven's grace over that suffering moment. You know you have that in your pocket, eh? You should pull that out and use it. You should play pull the, play the prayer card. You know, you you know you have this. He's not guilt tripping them. He's saying, I know it's hard. I know I know it doesn't come very naturally to you, but become a person who more and more thinks. What what does this situation require? Prayer. Like the first thing, prayer, I should I, I should invite God, I should seek God, I should invoke God's name over this, I should I should turn my attention Godward rather than looking at my severe suffering situation and mum grumbling and moaning. You know? Praying is the you know, it's the eighteenth thing we might do. Um we might plan our way around the suffering, we might blame someone for the suffering, might complain about the suffering, might be miserable on the suffering, and when the suffering gets really long, then we might at last go, maybe I should pray about this. Well, James just says, like, make it the first thing. Are you suffering? Don't don't feel like you should hide that from God. Like, tell God about it. Like, your father wants to know that you're suffering. Your father wants to come into that moment. But you, you don't, don't make it the 13th step of the suffering journey. Make it the first step. Are you suffering? You should pray. Are you suffering? You should pray about it. Make it, uh, I was thinking like, on my phone, everyone knows phones and stuff. You've got your home screen and you've got your your high priority apps on the home screen. And on my phone, I've got like eight pages of other apps, you know, and then way down the back, there's some BP app and there's there's an app for um, the field days that I downloaded once to get some freebies. And and they're way down the back of it. They're on the eighth page of apps, you know. And, And what James is trying to do is trying to grab it, put your finger on the app, the prayer app, it's on page seven or eight of your life. Make it wiggle because you've got on an iPhone and it wiggles and you can move it and then drag it from page to page and put prayer on your home screen. Okay, so the first thing that pops up when you come into a situation is I want to I want to talk to God about this. I want to bring this before God. Drag prayer and stick it on your home screen. Don't have it on the eighth page of your of your app. Does that connect with anyone in the room? You know, some people know what I'm talking about. No, I'm an Android. What are you talking about? I don't know. Oh, okay, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know what's on mine. Spotify's in there somewhere. So um, some people have no problems praying. I'm, I'm saying this as, as, a, as a generalization. Some people, um, I think, are, are gifted and graced in prayer. They, they naturally find themselves talking to God about everything. But many of us don't have that. For others, we need real help with it. And I'm not going to give it today. But I did wonder, I have talked to someone else about this recently, who's saying, I'm struggling to feel any zeal to pray. And um, and we decided that it might be good to have a time together for those who struggle, uh, like a confession session. <laughs> well, does anyone else struggle with prayer? To have a time together and then to have like... Uh, uh, I think there are some really simple keys that can take the mystique out of it, take the mystery out of it, take all the um, all the loaded up guilt and baggage that we associate with prayer out of it, 
and make it simple and make it a natural part. I think there are things we can do, but um, it's going to take a, a kind of a, a discussion forum, not not today, to do that. So maybe if you're interested in that, maybe you come and let me know afterwards. Yeah, I want to go to the class of I suck at praying. Can I go to that class? Sign me up because I want to join with people who are like that, and we need to work together to learn how to like make it something that's just the first thing we do. Okay, I, I suspect a lot of us need help with that. But suffering isn't the only time that prayer should be on our home screen. Um, he says, is anyone cheerful? Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. It's the, the word there is let him sing psalms. Let him, let him express his cheerfulness in psalms to God. Okay, that's the idea there. So there's someone woken up in the morning, the sun's shining. Birds are you know, the tui in the tree outside, the, the cherry tree's flowering, it's beautiful out there. Uh, you had a great sleep, there's something exciting happening in the day, your heart's glad, there's a the smell of bacon and coffee in the air roaming through the house. <laughs> and um, what, you know, what, what, what are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed to do with that when you wake up and you're cheerful? Well, um, you could write it off as a fluke. This is a this is an odd day. You could write it off. This could be an accident. An accident that all these things lined up to be a happy day for you. Um, it might be a mistake. No, we're Christians. And when, when those things are all like that and we wake up and our hearts fall, we're supposed to go, this is the kindness of God all over my life. This is The smell of coffee is the kindness of God to me. This, the tui in the tree that's singing praise to God is, is doing something that's summoning my heart to do the same. This is the kindness of God over my life. And... And the response of a sane mind to life's blessings, the response of a sane, um, a sane mind and, and clear, clear eyes to blessing in our life is to render thanks for that to God. Okay, that's, it's, it's an insane thing. It's a darkened mind and it's a hard heart that can receive good things in life, have them all over our lives and not do anything with that. Not, 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 turn, not turn the reception of those things into an acknowledgement to God. God, th- thank you for the, your goodness in my day-to-day life. It's, it's a hard heart. If you, I know this because Romans 1 is all about that. Romans 1 tells us that it is a, what's wrong with the world. Right? What's wrong with the world, Romans 1's all about? What's wrong with the world? There's policies that the politicians make. <laughs> no? Yeah, no? Climate, climate change. No, no, it's not in Romans 1. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. Social disorder, you know, there's social dysfunction. There's, there's kids who haven't been taught manners. That's what's wrong with the world or something like this. No, that's not what's wrong with the world, according to Romans 1. According to Romans 1, what's wrong with the world is human beings wake up every day in a world saturated with the kindness of God and they refuse to render thanks to Him. That's what's wrong with the world. So it's a hard heart. It's a hard heart that can look on all that and live in denial. It's a, it's, feel sorry. Feel sorry for the person who wakes up as an atheist or what goes and walks on the beach at Ragnar as an atheist and watches the sunset over the ocean and goes... That's magnificent. And, and there's nowhere to go with that. It's just, it just it's a happy accident. It's a, it's a magnificent mistake. The Christian is to look at that and go, that's glorious because it was, it's, the, it's just the sprinkling of a little glimpse of the glory of its creator. All right? 
So the Christian looks at this stuff and goes, channels through it and acknowledges God. So, so here's a question. Why does he? It's an interesting little point to me that he says, "Are you suffering? Pray. Are you happy? Sing." And now we're not very like we don't. I don't know. Do you have a song? Do you have a song in your back pocket that you can sing to God when things are going well? Not many of us do. Maybe we don't. You do? What's your? I actually, I had your name written down, Glenda. I always thought I bet you Glenda has a song. What do you? Do you have a song you naturally just? That's my go-to song. Refiner's fire. Refiner's fire. On the way to church this morning, to much the grace is discussed. I was singing. This is the day the Lord has made. Keith Green. Do you know that one? This is the day. That one. Yes. Um, God that, is so good. God is so good. Um. Like, I don't think this is sort of suggesting that just hum a little tune in your mind. I think, I think it should be a natural thing for us to have a song in our back pocket that we can sing. God, like, um, there's, there's the old um, one that is on my mind. It's a bit older than both those songs. It's praise God from whom all blessings flow. You know? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You know this one? Yes. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, all of you heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You sing that to God, and like as you, you've taken this good thing and you've you've turned it into an offering. You know, it's not just it's not just bacon on your plate anymore or a coffee. It's an offering to God. And, and James wants to encourage us. Are we suffering? Bring God in. Ask God to come in. Are you cheerful? Send it up to God. Like, but God's always in focus. God's always in focus, no matter what's going on. Whether suffering hardship or having a happy, carefree day, Jesus gives us our bearings. So keep your eyes on Jesus. All of this, all that's happening in my life, hard day, Awesome day. All of it is in the context of a heavenly father who loves me and wants to be intimately involved in it. So I want to have some songs in my back pocket and I want to I want to swipe open my life app and go pray when I'm in trouble and call on his name. The third group is the sick and time's ticking. Um, the sick, and this is where we uh, I confess I still don't I'm this is a challenging piece of scripture and I still don't entirely know what to do with it. Um, Luke, could you go a couple of slides on? Because you do actually have it on the screen. Here we go. This is the passage here. And maybe when you read it, you thought, man, I wonder what Dave's going to say. Me too. Me too. This is, um, there's a matter of factness about what is said here and a simplicity about the way it's stated that leaves no room for a sick person saying, staying sick. That's kind of scary. So I don't quite know what I'm going to say here, but maybe someone's got a testimony in the room about this in their own lives. But I do want to I do want to point a few things out. Number one, sick. Anyone among you sick? The the word there is does not mean have you got a cold, or have you got a scraped knee, or a stubbed toe, um, or a headache. Sick. In this in this you look at the use of the word sick for this this Greek word in the New Testament. It means someone who's really laid low. Okay. Someone really laid low. It means severe weakness. It means in a situation of desperate, desperate need. They're incapacitated. Incapacitated. Generally, sick people in the New Testament couldn't get anywhere. They needed the person with the healing to come to them because they couldn't get out of bed. So we're talking about someone who is so sick they're bedridden. Matthew twenty-five. 
I was sick and you visited me. Right? Mark 6, they brought the sick and they laid him down in front of Jesus in the marketplace. Why didn't they stand them up? Because they couldn't. The sick needed to be laid down. Okay, John 4, um, the city official says, My son is sick over in Capernaum. You're the only guy who can do anything about it. Can you come to him? The, the city official couldn't bring his son to Jesus. He was too sick. Okay, Philippians 2, 2 Timothy 4, there's lots of places this mentioned. The point is, is any among you sick means desperately weak. You're, things are pretty desperate. We're not talking about a scraped knee. We're not talking about a headache. The second thing we can point out is that that person is to call for the elders to come and to pray. They are not to say, can the elders, can the elders uh, do a Zoom call? Now get the elders on Zoom and like just have a bit of a Zoom conference and pray that way. Uh, the elders are to come. You can't do this via text. You can't do it on direct message. You know, like, hey guys, uh, I'm feeling unwell today. Could you pray for me um, as you think of me? No, they're, they're to call for the elders to come and to be present. They're going to come and pray over the person. They're going to come and be present physically with this person and pray for them. This assumes that the person knows who the elders are and that they're in a relationship, they're in fellowship, they're they're members of a body. Okay, that's the key here. And why elders? Are elders got special powers? (laughs) Um, Can anyone anyone pray for the sick? Well, yes, yes they can. If we carry on reading, it says there... uh, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's a sense we can pray for one another. But in the situation where someone is desperately sick, it says call for the elders. Two reasons why I think call for the elders. Number one, elders are commissioned as shepherds and overseers. And they are appointed to a sacred office. They're not special people, but they're, they're appointed and anointed into a special role in the church family as shepherds and overseers of, of the church. That means elders aren't necessarily business gurus. El, like key, um, key re- requirements for elders are not that they're business savvy, not that they're management experts, not that they're great with calendars and times, not that they're great with managing people. Um, there's a spiritual quality that's required for an elder. They, they need to be the kind of people you want to call and pray for you when you're really laid low. Okay, there's a spiritual gravity to, to these people and you want them to come in and pray on your behalf when you're really low. The second reason why it's called for the elders is it might be not be appropriate to call the whole church into the bedroom. <laughs> okay, If you're laid low, there's 100 people around them, who's coming together in the room, it's not, not probably not appropriate. But as representatives of the whole church, call the elders. These, these are the overseers of the church, call them together. And I'm sure... That in this sort of situation, given given um, given a serious illness where someone is known to be sick, it would be common sense for the elders in this situation to say to the church, "We've been called to pray. Church, would you would you pray with us? You know, wherever you are today, we're going to go pray with Fred, who's laid low in bed, and we're going to pray a prayer of faith over him that the Lord would raise him up. But would you be all praying for us as we represent the body of Christ coming together over this person? All right. So there's kind of a representative thing there. The third thing we can point out is that um, they're to anoint the person with oil in the name of the Lord. Is that magic oil? Where do you get this magic oil? Is it up here in the pulpit somewhere? Yeah, there is. There is somewhere. Um, there's some anointing oil. Um, no, it's not magic oil. Um, and some people have taken this verse to think that somehow 
when, when the elders put oil on things, suddenly it's magic oil and it's a magic elder, and all of a sudden that thing's going to be blessed. So you can go to some places in the world and they're anointing their cars. You know, I bought a new car and I want this car to run to 300,000 K, please. Can you anoint it with oil and pray? I want my house anointed. I want my dog anointed because he's not feeling very well. You know, I, I, I don't want my salad anointed with oil. Um, it's not... Um, oil goes on people. Oil is for people. All right? We had anoint, we're, not to, we're not to treat it like magic oil. We're not to sprinkle it on everything thinking there's magic stuff happening. We're to anoint... People with it. Um, Mark six thirteen talks specifically. I didn't know this till, till this week that the disciples anointed the sick and healed them. So there was something, something to do with anointing and healing. And I, how much oil? Heaps? A little? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But one scripture that did come to mind was Psalm one thirty four. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Do you know this psalm? It's good and pleasant when people dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard of Aaron. That's a lot of oil. That's oil dripping off Aaron's beard. That's what, that's, what it's, that's what the blessing is like of God when it comes. All right, It's like oil running down on the beard of the, of the priest of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes, it's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. There's this idea of anointing. Anointing being a kind of a metaphor for this is where we want God's blessing to come. This is where we want the blessing to descend. This is where we want God's hand and gracious hand of power, particularly the ministry of the Holy Spirit. A symbolic action that says this is the spot where we want the blessing. There. Okay? So I I think this is too small. <laughs> How much blessing do we want? Not much. We want when we're praying for someone like this, it's a prayer of faith and it's a prayer, God, we need your blessing all over the situation. And it's uh, maybe we go we go way too lame with what we do. It's a bit like communion. You want a big piece of piece of bread. You want a big big dose of oil. We want a big drink of... We do everything too small. Okay, we want lots of Jesus. We want lots of blessing. We want the Holy Spirit and like poured out, not trickled out. We want... So there's this idea that the oil is where we want the intense presence and action of the Holy Spirit to land, that, that, that we anoint a person, and then we pray in faith. This is where we want the blessing, God, and this is the blessing we're praying for, and we, we pray in faith. Not praying and doubting, not praying in hope, but praying in faith. And um, I think in these situations, if someone called the eldership team to come and pray, happened recently, um, there's, this, there's a sense that we're about to do something quite serious. We're about to really wrestle with God on this thing, and it's not something to be wandered into. You don't wander in with faith. I think you you seek God um, as as elders ask to pray for someone. There's there's a wrestling. There might be some fasting that happens beforehand because we're really we want really wanting to lay hold of God in this situation. We want we don't want to pray in hope that maybe God might do something. We want to pray in faith that God is going to act here. That God's going to raise this person up. That God's going to visit this situation and do something miraculous and powerful. And it's not us. It has to be Him. Okay, elders can't heal people. Elders are called to pray in faith, in the prayer of faith. 
will raise him up. Now, um, here's the tricky bit. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. I don't know. This is, this is a weird passage, and now we get really weird. But there is, there is some tie here with illness and sins needing to be forgiven. Okay? Now, we don't jump to conclusions and say, because a person's sick, there's some sin in their life. But when this, when this is to take place, James says, when you come into that moment, you are to confess your sins. You, 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 want, God, you want God to act? You want God to come? Well, clean the vessel out. So, person on the bed, confess your sins. Person doing the praying, confess your sins. I heard a story, as I was doing a bit of research on this, I came across a guy who said, I got a, he was an elder, he got asked to pray for some people, this guy. So he went in the room and said, all right, I've got to confess some sins here. I don't like you, and I like the fact that you're sick. <laughs> I've got to be honest. And the guy on the bed said, I don't like you either. All right, our sins are confessed. <laughs> and God raised them up. And they became best friends after that, by the way. Fascinating story. But there is this, there is, it's a, you are posturing yourself in humility and having baggage of sin in your life. Hey God, can you please pour your blessing out on me while I'm harboring this thing that I need to confess? Like, who do we think we are? What, what, is God gonna, is God gonna bless that? No. We humbly ask, we humbly ask for his healing. We humbly seek his face. But being humble means being open about our stuff. So I think somehow in this, there's this confession together that that kind of, um, I don't know, just cleans, cleanses all the secret motives out of the room and the bad stuff and is an invitation for God to move in power. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Yeah, there's, the elders don't have the power to forgive sins. Jesus forgives sins, right? The Reformation kicked off because guys were selling forgiveness of sins. You know, you can commit adultery seven times if you buy this piece of paper that forgives those sins. Okay? You have you heard of that? You know? It's called indulgences. Alright, you know, you've done these bad things, you can buy you can buy um, buy yourself some bad things. Um, that is not what this is talking about. It's talking about being humble before God and, and saying, I want God to pour his blessing out in this moment, and I want I don't want anything to stand in the way of that. I don't want anything to be a blockage. Alright, Elijah's the model. Who would who would ever be an elder? <laughs> who would ever be an elder of this is this is weighty, isn't it? It's really heavy. But the, the encouragement is to look at Elijah. He was a guy who had highs and lows. But even Elijah, um, even Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed and it didn't rain for three years and six months. And then when it was time for the rain to come again, God said, it's time to pray. He prayed. Little, you know, you know the story. The little little cloud in the distance. Okay, it's not it's not rain. Pray more, the cloud's getting bigger, pray more. The, the, it's, here it comes. And then the then the rain fell. Um, and Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Okay, so this is encouragement. Who would ever be an elder? Well, Elijah had his failings. He was a man of huge faith one day, and the next day he's running scared and feeling all lonely and sitting in a cave, going, "What was me? I'm the only, I'm the only Christian anywhere." God's like, "Get over yourself. There's seven thousand who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Get up on your feet, mate." You know. So, okay, Elijah's a bit like me. All right. So Elijah's the model. Gives us courage. That we don't have to be perfect, but we do have to trust 
We do it to trust and we do it to pray in faith. All right? If we pray doubting, forget it. If you pray, eh, maybe God can do this, nah, forget it. Pray in faith. Pray in faith. Pray. I think, and I think faith is a gift that God will deposit in the moment, especially if we've sought God beforehand for that prayer. Okay, gone up the mountain ourselves and sought God and God fasted and prayed. God deposits faith in and we pray. Yeah, I know when I'm praying in faith and when I'm praying in hope, there's a difference. I know when I'm praying something, I'm going, God, it's time for you to act, God. This, this is going to happen, God. <laughs> Laying hold of God in faith. All right? So lastly, uh, last one, Luke, do you want to slide the next slide over? If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I want to finish with this. Just a very simple appeal. It's We're talking about someone who is walking with Jesus and they've just done this. Okay, this, this is the Jesus way down there. This is the Jesus way. This is the Jesus path that God has laid out for me. And, oh, just started wandering over here. This thing's a flower over here. And um, Christians do this. We, we all do this. We're, we're walking with Jesus, and it doesn't take much to just, oh, I'm just going to walk over here. This is not talking about someone who is running headlong away from God. It's talking about someone who is in the first steps of just taking their eyes off Jesus, getting themselves into things which might become um, be a harvest of terrible things down the track. But it's a first step. And James is saying, hey, hey guys, it's tough times out there. Okay, James, the whole book of James, it's tough times. So look out for one another. Tough times is when people find other ways to start walking. They take your eyes off Jesus and go, this is trouble. It's trouble territory here. But over here it looks nice. Watch out for one another. And, and be, a, be a person who, who is courageous enough to say, hey, Angus, I think, I think you want break. I just get this feeling when I see the thing you're getting into or the way you've been behaving lately or I just I have a concern a fear that you're beginning to wander off the path is it true? You know, have you got your eyes on Jesus? That's what it's, it takes courage to do this and it takes like you know what right do I have to go and say something like that to someone else? Well your, your brothers and sisters you know my sisters can say things to me that other people wouldn't say <laughs> Now, they can be honest because you know there's there's no relationship on the line. They're, they're family, all right? And that's, you're right. We're brothers and sisters with one another. We genuinely care for one another. We'll be courageous and we'll care about their soul. And we'll care enough to jump in at the wandering phase. We won't watch them wander and then go, oh, that's pretty bad. I, wonder what they're I, hope they, I hope they come back. Oh, no, they're not. They're making more bad calls. Oh, no, they're not. And then there's this disaster of a train wreck in their lives. And we had the chance up front just to, just to put our arm around them and say, hey, keep it, stick with Jesus. Let's go. We've got to get it one day. I hope you put your arm around mine and help me walk with Jesus too. This is what it's calling to do. It covers a multitude of sins. If you, if you can catch a person who's just wandering, it covers a disastrous train wreck down the road. Train wrecks happen because little wanderings become big wanderings. All right? So, um, some... Come with some of this. It's David in his prayer of confession, and he says, Acquit me of my hidden faults, and then I will not be guilty of the great transgression. Okay? It's the little things. Acquit me of my hidden faults, the little, the little things I'm doing that don't seem like a big deal. That's where I need the help. 
because those things grow up and become a great transgression down the track. So this is saying here, in times of trial, you're walking through life together. Be brothers and sisters. Be courageous with one another. Keep each other's eyes on Jesus. That's what the family's for. Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I want to be part of a church where we help each other follow Jesus. Would you stand? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, its practicality. We thank you for the book of James. And here as we sort of finish wandering through the book of James together, I want to thank you for all that we've heard. Lord, we can't, we can't remember all the bullet points. Probably can't remember anyone's sermon that we've heard. But Lord, we've eaten a meal all the way through and you've nourished our bodies with what we've heard. And it's in there. So Lord, by your spirit, all that we've heard over these last eight weeks, I pray that you just, just write it in invisible ink on our hearts so that we may live it out when the time comes. When we, when we encounter someone who really is an enemy in our lives or who has it in for us, we want to pray, Lord, that you bring to mind the things you've taught us from James. Lord, when we find ourselves in a situation where our mouths are running away on us, would your Holy Spirit grab our consciences and just go, this, this is a fire. You're, you're creating a forest fire when you let your tongue run like this and draw us back. Lord, there's so much in James. I pray, Father, that you help us to live it and to walk it out. Help us, Lord, when we're suffering to call on your name. Help us when we're joyful to sing to your name. Help us when we're sick, Lord, to, to be humble enough to raise our hand and say, I need I need the elders to come pray for me. This is serious. And help us, Lord, to, to, to catch one another's wanderings so that we all keep walking the Jesus way. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.